Hello, and welcome to Reality 2.0, the podcast that explores the intersection of technology and society. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, and in today's episode, we will be discussing a fascinating new technology called ChatGPT and its potential impact on the world of generative AI. For those who may not be familiar, ChatGPT is a chatbot that uses advanced natural language processing and machine learning algorithms to generate responses in real time. This allows users to have conversational interactions with the chatbot as if they were talking to a real person. What sets ChatGPT apart from other chatbots is its ability to generate original responses based on its training data. This means that it is not limited to pre-programmed responses, but can create unique and relevant responses based on the input it receives. In this episode, we will be speaking with Ezekiel Lanza and Tony Mungelsmai, not the creators of ChatGPT, to learn more about this technology and its potential applications. We will also be discussing the broader implications of generative AI and how it could change the way we interact with machines and each other. So join us as we explore the exciting world of ChatGPT and generative AI. This is Reality 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So... Thanks, listeners, for indulging me. I did not write that. That was entirely written by ChatGPT. Uh, all I did was write like write a, a script for the Reality 2.0 podcast, and it automatically inserted my name, and weirdly, not Docs, so I don't know where it's getting this. <laughs> That's not too weird. Maybe my user account. I, I have no idea how that works. Maybe, maybe uh, Ezekiel could tell us. So, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann, and Doc Searles is my co-host, even though ChatGPT did not get that memo. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I, I, as I mentioned, we're talking to Ezekiel Lanza and Tony Mungelsmai. Both, uh, both uh, Tony and Ezekiel work with me at Intel. So this is, this is kind of a fun little crossover uh, taking my work life into, into my personal life uh, episode. But I asked them to, to join us because, well, because they're fun. Because Tony actually hosts uh, hosts another podcast, and that is called Code Together, and we'll let him talk about that in a second. And Ezekiel is on my team, and we work together, and he's super cool, and he's an expert in AI. So who better to uh, tell us how this all works, because he understands it better than us. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, you guys, for joining us. I really appreciate it especially right right here when everything's so hectic trying to get stuff done before the holidays. Oh, well, thanks for having us. Thanks. It's really good to be here. It's a pleasure for being here. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for inviting. So, um, gimmick number 2. <laughs> I also I also asked it to ask us some to generate some interview questions, which actually it did a frighteningly good job of, which is yeah, I think yeah, anyway, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But but let's start with a couple of them. And and here's one. How does ChatGPT differ from other generative AI models? Who, who knows the answer? I'll let any of y'all go first. I can go first. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, basically what ChatGPT is, it's an implementation of, uh, of a transformers architecture or a, it's an implementation of a model that it's already trained. So the main benefit that you have with ChatGPT is that you have this particular thing that can understand uh, while you are talking. I mean, you can make a question and they can answer your question. And if you don't like the answer, you can say, okay, could you please try to replace that thing? Or could you please to do, try, try to do something different? And JetPT has this ability to, to understand. So it's basically an implementation of an architecture that it's already available and you can download and you can use the model or the transformers to understand. Um, it is 
pretty amazing because it's it's like talking to a real person, right? I don't know, Tony, if you'd like to add something. I I don't know if I have a lot to add to that. That's, that's definitely how something like ChatGPT would work. I, I do wonder how it's different than something like Lambda from Google. I, I know Google actually just said the other day, um, you know, we could build something like this, but we choose not to because we feel like we haven't worked out all of the kinks yet. Um, and I think actually what they said was, uh, what Sundar said was, we have a lot of money, so we can't afford to do this, whereas <laughs> OpenAI is a startup. And so they need That's to funny. take some risks. So I, I don't know what the difference is, but I, I do think that, yeah, it's a pretty common thing. Um, and and as Catherine was nice enough to mention on our podcast, uh, Code Together, we talked about it a little bit more. And Ezekiel mentioned, you know, this is something that's been going on for the last, what do you say, five years, right? Based five on years. a very specific yeah. paper, which I don't remember the name of, but you probably could tell your listeners here. Yeah, I, will, I will link <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah, it's attention, it's all you need. It's from, it's from Google. It's the main architecture that it's able to, to identify the language or to get the patterns, right? So once you have this ability, you can create a lot of things on top of that, like can be ChatGPT and another crazy things. I think that the main thing that could be interesting is that you can create a chat, but the problem is when you would like to build a business use case or when you would like to, to have a use case or when you would like to implement that in a particular scope, you need... I don't know if ChatGPT can work, for instance, if you would like to use it in finance, because the things that the person will be talking to the to this particular both both will be different, will be mean specifically related with banking stuff or with financial stuff. So I think, and linking to what you said about Google is that okay, it's good, it's cool. Is general concept, is general knowledge, but if you'd like to use it for a real life use case, uh, you need to fine tune that thing. But the ability, it's, it's awesome, of course. We can agree about that. I have a question, which is um, it has to do with timeliness and liveness. So earlier, Catherine said that it didn't include me as one of the one of the co-hosts of, of this of webcast. And when I've done, you know, ego scrolling on it, I was like, you know, tell me stuff about Doc Searles. It knew nothing. And on top of that, it said, I, I'm only trained until 2021. So I don't know anything since 2021. Now, I've been around since 1947. And, the, and <laughs> there's a zillion things about me, including a Wikipedia page. So... Um, something's missing there, but here's where, here's the thought that I had. There was a moment in 2003, 2000, I'm sorry, 2005 or say four or five, somewhere in there. So this interesting thing happened uh, when Google, when, when the web was still static, in other words, it was a place where you, you would locations on domains that you built and and had locations and you browsed and the understanding of it was just kind of library-like, right? And even Google's ambition, we're gonna index all the world's information as if it's holding still enough for um, an encyclopedia to be built once a year or something like that. And, and a lot of its knowledge, as it were, was a month old, two months old or older. So when blogs came along, Technorati and then a bunch of competitors, including Google, Google's blog search, started searching only stuff with RSS feeds. And that was what my older son called the live web. He said the live web is splitting off of the static web. 
And in the live web, uh, it's going to be a whole different world. He turned out to be right about that because now Google's introducing everything almost in real time. So if an AI system like ChatGBT is big enough, has a data center big enough, like 24 data centers like Google has, um, where they're keeping up with everything in more or less real time, does that change things? Can that change things? Um, and so that's, I have more questions than that, but I'm wondering whether there's a change of state or kind that happens with that, as happened with Google once it could do real-time search or close to real-time search. I think there's two challenges there, though. There's the availability of information, which is one, but then as we talk about building or fine-tuning, um, you know, for training your AI model with the new data, that takes a lot of horsepower, mm. right? So as I think of ourselves as Intel, um, you know, we think about how much compute do I need to actually make this happen? And when we look at kind of these big language models, um, we talked about how like ChatGPT, they trained it, they even, um, well, GPT-3, which it was based on, they, they trained it and then they couldn't train it. They found some errors, but they're like, we can't retrain it. We just keep forging ahead because it's too big. There's too much data. There's too much compute required. I guess if you wanted to harness that much compute power, we probably could figure out how to do it in terms of like scalability, but I don't know if we would have enough compute that anybody would want to pay for that real time. I say that now, we probably would have said nobody would pay for Google to index the internet in real time 20 years ago. So definitely could be wrong as compute kind of moves forward. Yes, and I also think that, that another challenge is those models, the information that they have now, it's based on, as you said, previous information from Wikipedia, Reddit, and all these databases that are open. And you 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 can get access to those kind of databases. But so this is pretty cool when you would like to train your model to give the abilities to say, okay, this is how people write. This is how people can, I don't know, if they like to answer a question, you can find the pattern if you have all the complete database of Wikipedia. But the next step is, as you said, is, okay, we have a chatbot that is able to understand how I am, how I am asking something or how I can write a question. And if they would like to look for this answer in the internet or in the web pages, uh, there is another problem that is all the web pages, I mean, you can try to find information in web pages, but the sites, they are not written in the same language, for instance. If you like to, to get access to those sites, for instance, you cannot, they, you can probably find JavaScript, you can find a lot, a lot of different things there uh, that it's apart from the transformers and the AI and so on. But if you would like to get access to this information in real time, you need to communicate to those sites. So you need to find how is the architecture? Uh, do they behave with it in the same language? I mean, you can try to do some web scrapping at the same time, but this is really frustrating if you like to do it in real time. So I think that the next step will be to, to which is a big challenge because you need to find a common language to write all the all the sites, or at least to have the documentation, because for a particular site, an image could be described or could be used in some particular way, and for other sites, the image could be something completely different. So this it will make that the algorithm or the model will be almost impossible to find this information in the in the other sites. 
and this is why I think that you can reach to this to this stage right now, which is a model that is able to understand people. Uh, now, try to fine tune it for use for your use case, or OpenAI or mm. Google, uh, and because they have the power to fine tune those models for your use case, for instance. But it sounds like Doc, you were kind of saying that is this your your question is is this a paradigm shift? So Google has changed the way that we live our lives since 2003. Nowadays, if you want to find something current, you go to Google, you ask it. Are, are you mm -hmm. saying, well, chat, will something similar to chat GPT become something like Google? There have been people online saying, oh, this could replace Google. Is that what you're, you're kind of suggesting? How would well, that change our lives if something like that was possible? Well, Google um, looked the same, but became very different. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't just index and search the live web it it gave results that were different and this goes down kind of a, a different path but it's an interesting one i put some sort of easter eggs in some old things that i wrote a, a unique word that if page rank still worked you would find if you search for that word you would find it that no longer happens okay google is looking at the live web almost entirely the old static web it's devalued it's all about now And people trust it for now. And their, their, you know, secondary services like maps and so forth are really very much real time. And, and, uh, and you kind of expect that. I think, I think Amazon has done a, a similar thing where they started as a retailer and they turned into a, log a logistics company and a transport company. They're entirely a different company now than they were before in part because, because they created their cloud, right? Their cloud is really behind all of that. And, I think some, I, I'm wondering toward what you were saying, uh, Ezekiel, if there was a business model or if it got tied into something else that was say, rather than as Google does with advertising and 80% of their income, I think still comes in plain old search advertising, which is purely contextual and not tracking based. Um, but it was tied to say retail, you know, I'm, I'm going to know where this is now and where that is. And I'm asking natural language, real time questions about something. And then everything else that's not necessarily retail is gravy, but they can, they can, if they're, if they get a cut of retail, let's say that's actually possible, then they can afford to pay for gigantic data centers that are bit, that are different in kind from what they're doing now, but, but not different in the sense that if you add more horsepower to it, you're going to get some kind of results. And uh, now I think what we were saying also is equal is, is that that may just not be possible. I mean, it may just be too big a task. And I don't know if that's the case or not. Are you saying that? Yes, yes. I mean, the use case that I'm seeing now, it's something similar that Hugging Face is doing and even OpenAI is also doing. Uh, it's they give you or they can provide you hardware to run the inference and they charge you if you would like to run the inference. So if you like to build an application using the transformer optimize or the ChatGPT or whatever, It's not the case for ChatGPT, but let's suppose that you have a sentiment analysis uh, software that you would like to see if, I don't know, if, uh, if a phrase is positive or is negative. In that case, what they offer you is, okay, use my API. Instead of building a server in your application, just communicate with the API from your application to the Hugging Face application or to the OpenAI application, and I will charge you 
for this inference, right? And of course, they have underneath, I believe that they run in Amazon or Google or whatever. But I believe that this could be different because how they are thinking now is they hang in face OpenAI as a service provider, as a, as an API provider, instead of selling a solution or instead of providing a solution. I don't know how it will go, to be honest, um, but I think that what they have in mind now is, okay, let all the people know what is the, the ability of this software and let's give the imagination goes and they can create some new cool and awesome solutions. Um, but I think that it's just, and I can't imagine that it's going to be a challenging for them to find the, the right business use case for that. So I, I wanted to pick up something that, that Doc said earlier, actually. And that's when, when you said it doesn't, it doesn't seem to know you, you've been doing ego scrolling and then whatnot. And uh, that made me think, so our last episode on, of, Funnily enough, <laughs> we spent a good part of it just playing with it live. We were just, you know, playing. So we've all played with it, right? We've, uh, and probably most of our listeners by now has have played with it at least a little bit. And um, there is this aspect where it sort of has to train you to use it, right? So when I typed in write a bio for Doc Searles, I got a lot of really great information. It knew you for sure. It knew you were the author of the, the Clue Train Manifesto. It knew you were uh, editor in chief of Linux Journal. It, it knew a ton. Um, but it, you know, it's all in the way you ask the question. So I actually, I saw, I want to say somewhere I saw that there are now jobs for prompt engineers. And, uh, I thought we could talk just a little bit about how there is this process. Like, you know, all, our, all technology trains us in a bit, in a way, you know, we we think we're, we're training it, but it's sometimes the the opposite, but you know, what is, what is the implication of that? What, you know, how obviously, you know, and, Ezekiel can get into the, the, the finer, the inner workings of how it all works, but where are we in terms of the usability and will this get easier? Will it, or will it always sort of necessitate having a specific skill, just like doing a, a, a good Google search can be, can, can require a little bit of skill. How relevant is that? And, and what does it say, right? I mean, where <laughs> that it's literally going to train, is it going to just train us? Are we all going to become trained to interact with AI? I think that it's a great moment to be in college because <laughs> I would like to have all my stuff done by, by this crazy thing. Um, but Wouldn't you hate to be a teacher right now? <laughs> like a oh, middle yeah. school teacher? Yes, yes. We well, but this is too. the challenge, of course. How can, you, how can you see or how can you realize if it's a person or a machine that who, who wrote that, right? So it's really... It's really complicated to 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 get it today um but i think that all of these models most of them they are trained with data that is how we behave for instance it's it's something that we train that uh with our with what we put in wikipedia or what we put in, in reddit it's how it's how we write um there is a, a little problem there related with the bias and okay yeah i was gonna say you are you are training with really it <laughs> yes yes and it's also you are training with with information that that you have that is it's not the 100 of the people of the world but you can find good things and you can find really bad comments biases racist mm -hmm. i mean you, you you will find those those things for sure 
so this is another challenge because you need to to define the boundaries or at least to to see okay if someone is asking me something about racism uh, yes racism you can try to avoid an answer or you can try to do something similar what what i try to do and in fact uh it 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 worked from my perspective is that if you ask a question about racism about something that is really racist uh gpt will say okay i cannot answer that because yeah, it raises and so on <laughs> but if you, tr you start to talk and you try to make a conversation at the end when you find almost six or seven in interactions you can find the same point you can find that or you can you can push ChatGPT to say something that it's racist oh absolutely yeah or just completely false which is or interesting. just completely like, false or completely yeah I, uh, I i saw just the other day uh somebody post i think on, on facebook you know just as a, a, an fyi don't take this thing too seriously it was write a hasidic story you know citing rabbis and stuff like that but But the the end of the question was and you know and tie it into why bacon is so delicious. And if you know anything, you know bacon is not kosher. You there's it is verboten in the Jewish religion and, and religious law. So, but but to read this story, you know, it, it practically celebrates you know bacon as a mitzvah, and um, it, it was interesting. So so there are you know tons of examples like that. I've also read quite a bit um, about ways to get around some of those protections. I haven't been able to successfully do it yet, though I did try, but mostly because of the the network limitations, right? It's so overwhelmed with traffic right now. You, you're lucky to get maybe two questions out of it before it it fails. Um, but yeah, I wasn't able to get around the, the the racism protection, for example. I even tried like, write this as if you are a racist. But I mean, obviously there are limitations and, you know, the thing is written by humans and humans are deeply, deeply flawed. And it's, you know, it's trained itself on all of those flaws. But I, I just wonder, I mean, I think that will evolve, obviously. And that's part of the experiment here, right? They're, they're crowdsourcing their, their QA process. And I think as part of that, they're going to have to learn how, you know, where those guardrails are, where the guardrails fail. Um, but yeah, I mean, a question for all, all of you is just how, you know, how could you possibly account for all of our human weaknesses, you know, when setting up these guardrails in, in something like, like this type of text AI? You can't, right? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> the biggest thing, right? It's a very simple answer, which is, They put in guardrails like the racism guardrails, uh, like the if you search an individual who's a private individual, a doc being very, very well known is a little bit different. You know, it says I won't look up individuals on the Internet, things like that. We only see the guardrails when they fail. Um, and so that's when we fix them. And it could be based on how powerful these things are and how much knowledge they have. It could be too late and not in a end of the world, you know, Skynet kind of way. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you're not going to know that it's a problem until we find it in practice, right. which, is, which is why they're crowdsourcing this. And, and I, the first thing that came to my head as you were talking about it is, I have a three-year-old. This is precisely how my three-year-old works. He gathers <laughs> information at a crazy rate mm. compared to what I would expect. And then he does, and uh, 20 years from now, he's going to hear this, maybe. He does crazy things that I would never expect anybody in the world to do until he does them. And then I have mm. to go tell him. Hey, buddy, don't don't do that, please. That's not a good <laughs> yeah. idea. 
And, and I think that's where we're at with this. possibly have thought of these things, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, you know, the horses are out of the barn. That's the analogy. We, we, we say that a lot, actually, yeah. in t- when we talk about digital privacy and stuff like that, because these, these, things are, these things are happening. They're very much at this point out of our control, and yet here we are trying to harness them for good. And there are a lot of, you know, fabulous applications of, of this exact same, not generative AI, but other AI technology. You can, you know, help diagnose tumors and, and stuff like that, which sure we could talk about if we had time but um but the 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 more interesting part of course because we're cynics here is <laughs> is you know what what could go wrong right everything um i think that this is why because most companies or developers they don't they don't like those kind of models for some particular use cases right because you don't have the explanation about because it behaves as a as a as a black box Right, so you put an in, an input, and you and you get an output, but you don't know why the algorithm took that decision. So for some particular use cases, most people don't like to use it because uh, you don't know what makes the the algorithm to take that that decision. And of course, there is another trend that is explainable AI, where you need to when they help people to understand why. Uh, is this decision taken, right? Um, but this is another thing because if you, I don't imagine, for instance, this algorithm totally open when you are working with a with a customer, uh, with a with a contact center, with a customer experience, and so on. So I don't imagine completely open answers uh, in that particular scenario. Um, but yes, but this is why you need to define. Okay, these are the limits, right? I don't know if someday we'll have some explainable AI for this generative AI, stable diffusion, transformers, or whatever. I I did some research with deep learning, and it's not so easy to find the way to to explain um, because it's not a decision tree, something that's really complicated inside. And that if you like to get, or if you like, or if you would like to say, okay. These are the variables, or these things are most important for the model. Um, it's really complicated, and it can also there be is, also useful. There are a lot of explainable AI projects out there, though, attempting to figure attempting. out how to explain AI. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a whole bunch of research papers this year at AI conferences about trying to data mine, you know, explainable AI around certain types of models. Those are definitely smaller obviously, than something uh, like GPT-3 or now GPT-3.5, as they're calling it, OpenAI. So I don't know if we'd ever get there, but there's definitely effort going into that. Yeah. And you probably don't care for some particular use cases, right? When you are working with computer vision and you are detecting, you have an algorithm that is able to detect, I don't know, houses, cars, and so on. I mean... I don't care if the algorithm is paying attention to the limits of the doors or whatever. I I don't care in that particular use case. But for this thing, or if you let's suppose that you put the JPT to to work with a financial case, when you will approve a loan, or you will not approve it, and if JPT JPT could say, okay, I will not give the loan to this person. Okay, why? Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's a oh, that's a whole other ethical argument. My understanding is some hospitals that originally bought these like Watson systems, for example, instead Watson. of using them for diagnostics, they're actually using them to decide who who can afford to pay their bill and not. 
which is <laughs> a little sketchy. Um, yeah, I so this seems like a great place to remind everyone that we're all we're I suspect all four of us have a slight bias toward open source. We're we're big open source nerds here, and uh, Ezekiel and I actually even that that's our job title. We are open source evangelists. That's that's what we do. We 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 cheer for and, and support open source, but. Um, so we, we might have a tendency to believe in open source, you know, saving the world <laughs> uh, because of that bias. So I'm, I'm wondering, so where, where does open source and open, open models, you know, where does that fit in here? And how, how can we use development out in the open of tools like this to, you know, build a completely open chat GPT, you know, a version of that to, to head off or address in some way some of the the ethical concerns some of these guardrail concerns that we talk about um you know what what is the benefit of of kind of trying to steer this in that direction and what are the limitations so even if you built an open model uh it's still a transformer and ezekiel uh, i guess i'm answering a question with the question even if we have an open version of this it's still a transformer and, and kind of by definition a lot of our deep learning transformer type architectures are not understandable. Even if it's open, everything is there. The data right. is all there. We know all of these things. Yeah. It still doesn't give us the insight that we want that tells us right. why is this potentially biased? How are these things being taken into account? And even as Catherine, you're talking about um, like the, the bank account, why do I give this person a loan? You know, am I not giving this person a loan because they're male or female? Mm-hmm. Or am I not giving this person a loan because they work at location X, which by the way, might be tied to whether they're male or female, right? There's a lot of like things mm-hmm. that can take you down these paths where you think it's right. not being biased, but it still ends up at the same conclusion, which may be a biased conclusion. Right. So built-in opacity by the nature of what it is that's hard to get right. around, even so, open or not. You know, there's a it's impossible to be transparent, is what we're saying here. Right, it, it, and I think that's the case, right, Ezekiel? Is, is that a reasonable? Yeah, thing to say? absolutely. I mean, the open source or the open the open models. The only thing that it will give you is the model, so you can use it, right? So, this is the model that is able to understand the language, uh, but it's up to you if you would like to use it in some particular use case or some particular scenario. So, I think that. Being those models open could be could help, um, but it doesn't mean that you can run a complete a, an entire solution in a in a PC or in something really with low power because you need you you need processing right to to make to run the inferences, um, but I think that it's really good if you have at least if if it's open, so you can download the model, but you need a lot of of things to to have in mind or you need to keep in mind that the biases and a lot of different things that it's not just download the model and now i have a JGPT working no the model is just a little part and this is something that i always say when i'm talking to developers or with customers about ai the model is just a little part of your application uh, okay you have an algorithm that is awesome to detect people okay great to, to detect how people write uh, okay, how you can build an application on top of that, and and th- this is why you need to, to put the boundaries. You need to find why is it useful or or not. And as all the projects, as all applications, you are always using open source tools, right? This is why ChatGPT 
it's not open sourced because it's it's an application so you cannot download ChatGPT and use it into your your application but i think that the open source concept of my or mindset i think that's really it's really needed to start talking about these these technologies right but it's just the beginning for me with hugging face for instance is doing something similar they have some a part called spaces where hugging face is providing you the transformers the algorithms but with the spaces they are allowing people to create applications and to open source applications uh, based on the transformers so i feel like to i don't know i don't have nothing clear in my mind about that particular use case but if you go there you can see different use cases really good applications uh, that you can download and you can use it um so this is as you said catering with open source we will we'll save the, the word and so on but this is how is it starts to get adoption in my in my opinion right the model some some reference reference applications and so on i have in mind hmm. the biases of course just really quickly going back to, going back to the, the my original gimmick that i semi abandoned but but in in asking ChatGPT to write some interview questions, one of the prompts I use is just simply write interview questions for the Reality 2.0 podcast about AI ethics and tech policy. And what's funny is because they, apparently they do know us. <laughs> they, be, I don't know what they is, but one of the things, and it's it, totally a question I want to ask. It is a they in a way, it. yeah. Yeah, it is a they. <laughs> Um, how do the ethical considerations of AI intersect with issues of privacy, security, and personal data? That's totally a question I would ask. Freaky, right? And that's because they're, they're they. Yeah. Right? yeah the they source know. of this is everything <laughs> is that everything. they've trained it on. The collective and that they. includes, yeah, that includes potentially private information. It includes information that was scraped from the web. Just like a lot of the generative AI, you need such a large data set in order to make these things uh, functional in the way that they are and powerful in the way that they are, that you have to get into some level of information that is potentially considered private, um, not in the, it has my bank account kind of way, but in the, it's used my image because my image is on the internet, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like this, you have this I don't know, passive agreement that if my image is on the internet and Google can find it, then chat. GPT or other generative AI, I guess not chat GPT with images, um, but like stable diffusion can go grab it. And there's a lot of those art, art websites, right? That are protesting how stable diffusion is use their images on these public art websites to then put it into a generative AI. So I think there is a they in the sense that all of our information is going into this. Now, how do we have the right policy around protecting this is really interesting because who owns the copyright? If you look at some of the generative images, which is easier to detect, there are people's signatures in some of the generative art that's created because the AI just thinks this is part of the art, but it happens to be somebody's signature. And you can't really do that with text, but the same thing applies, obviously, with people who have written things. There's copyright. If we look about how it deals with code, um, and that gets into GitHub Copilot, Mm-hmm. chat gpt can generate code where does this code come from is there a source for it and does it need to be credited these are all questions that yeah. one we don't know and two because it's not explainable it's really hard to tie back to any type of limitations or restrictions so 
there are definitely lots of questions. And the big challenge for us in the next year or two is how do those get addressed either by the community, through legal means, et cetera. Attribution alone is its own episode. I mean, honestly, it's so problematic. We, we, uh, you know, in last week's episode, we, we, re- we had it write us a, a like a basic report on the Civil War, and then I ran it through a uh, one of these online plagiarism detectors. It detected twenty two percent and cited a bunch of possible sources. But again, like you say, it's unknowable. And this is something that we 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 actually covered this in a previous episode about about GitHub Copilot, actually from an interesting yeah. perspective. Somebody who is a medical doctor and involved in a lot of medical research, citing just the the stifling nature of lack of attribution. When you don't have that attribution, it really kind of hinders progress in a lot of things. Aside from all the legal concerns and eth- and and uh, licensing issues, there are serious ethical concerns for uh, lack of attribution because. You know, regardless of how you feel about it, it's not even a, a, a moral judgment about plagiarism or whatever, or, or or lack of crediting where credit is due. It's more um, attribution is such an important part of scientific study and progress that once that's eliminated from the process, it it uh, kind of hamstrings the in- the entire goal, right? So so yeah, that alone could be a whole episode of its own. It's so. It's so complicated. But um, another thing that I wanted to mention, I think I may have included this in the links that I sent y'all, but there was an article warning <laughs> that tools like ChatGPT make it, the, the headline I, I linked to is democratizing cybercrime. Basically, a person can use a tool like this to write malicious scripts. And it, it, it makes it much more accessible to people who don't even necessarily have the skills to do that, which is even scarier. That's some place where I think it's really hard to put guardrails on it because there is sort of this, um, an attitude about code that it's sort of morally, morally neutral, which is of course not true. I don't know if y'all have an experience. I have very limited interaction with chat GPT and code because again, network problems. And every time I try to do this, the thing goes down, but I wonder if y'all could Tell me a little bit about your experiences if you have had any. Can oh. you really write malicious software? I mean, do you think that's... Yes. Yes, you definitely can. It's something that it's pretty pretty easy. And this is the problem of try to create something that it's pretty close to, to a human being or, or, or the behavior of a human being. What I think is that we first... We, we are first creating the technology. We are first creating algorithms and so on but the next step will be okay now we need the security guys or the security i will be completely sure that will be a new trend and something similar from deep fakes for instance that there will be a new trend to detect fakes on on those algorithms or generative ai or chat or videos or whatever for sure because the technology will keep and if you see for the last three years or four years it's it's improving it's 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 getting really good now uh the things that, that you can get so it's i feel that it will never be like a person like a real person of course but if you ask for code if you ask for advices for poem for whatever uh you can get something really similar so this will be a challenge and i don't think that this is the fault of gpt or JGPT or whatever i think that they give the, the solution. They give the the algorithm. Okay, now it's up to it's up to the world to to set the boundaries. It's 
could be laws, could be security algorithms. Uh, they don't care. I don't care. Now, if I'm writing uh, a software, right? Uh, but if you start thinking in the security part, you probably don't care because you're not the person that is in charge of that, but someone should be in charge or a trend. And what you said about the, the data that we are providing to those algorithms, uh, and we, we already know, for instance, it's 20 years ago or 15 years ago when Facebook started with all the all the other platform and the first algorithm that you can that can help to identify to identify faces was facebook because they already have mm. uh, all the databases they had a lot of pictures a lot of faces they have a lot of information that we provided uh, without knowing that and of course they didn't inv in invented the algorithm because this idea was from the 80s, but it wasn't possible because they didn't have this huge database. So be careful, just be aware that all the information that we are providing, we are, we are probably feeding some other particular other algorithms. And we need to think or at least to be aware that, okay, if I'm doing that, I'm providing data, even if I'm not uh signing it, it, it's it's there same happens with with github copilot as you, as you said uh, i don't know if the 100 of the code that they use for that to train those algorithms uh, they checked about the license i mean is old they claim they did oh they did they claim that they, they will did. say that for sure but i mean but <laughs> it, you can't prove it exactly but you can't prove it yeah the interesting thing about code though so i, I did a lot around the code right because i'm a developer i'm an architect i i used to run a team of a lot of engineers i think the interesting thing when i go ask either of these systems to generate code copilot's a little bit better mm. about this than chat gpt was but they have a hard time generating novel solutions, right? Mm -hmm. So people, a lot of developers have looked at this and said, am I going to be out of a job? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, if you're doing something simple, it's the same with ChatGPT, right? People uh, said, hey, I asked it to generate this marketing thing and I asked it to go grab images to create this marketing campaign and it did a pretty good job. Same thing around code, it can generate the code. So obviously it's generative, but can it come up with a novel, efficient solution that solves the exact problem you're trying to do. So if we said, go write a code to hack into the NSA, well, based on what it knows and what it has, it's probably not going to be able to do that. Now, maybe that's a bad example, but that's why hackers will have jobs. If I ask it to generate some special firmware code for a new um, piece of Intel hardware that doesn't exist now, you're not going to be able to do that with generative AI because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Unless you have a lot of prompts and a lot of input, which maybe then it could, but right now it's not there yet. It's not building us complete efficient solutions that you can get from people who are already doing marketing, who are already programming. Right now it's giving you parcel solutions that make us think that this is going to be possible someday, but it's not there yet. 
Uh, yeah, that that that's the thing that I you know I wondered. My my question actually about about um you know writing ransomware or something. You know the danger mm-hmm. of asking something like Chat GPT to write you some ransomware. I mean, yeah, I guess it can, but is it going to be good enough to be dangerous? I don't know. I, I guess that's my my the underlying question there. And I think you you hit on it. Is that yeah? I mean, so far the stuff that I've tested, I I could get it to write a basic script or review a basic script, but much more than that, I have no idea. And I yeah. I think that question. that one of the things that we can think about it is okay. The thing that I'm asking to ChatGPT is it open? I mean, can I Google it and can I find this information uh, in Wikipedia or whatever. Uh, if it's there, you probably will find it, uh, but it's not there, you you won't find it. I mean, it's it's similar um, when you are building a chatbot and you need the chatbot to answer to your particular questions from your environment or your work. Um, this is not public, for instance. It's something internal. Uh, from your company, and it, and it will not work. Um, and I think that's something critical, as as you said. Maybe this information is on the deep web. I don't know, but this these algorithms they are not trained on the on the deep web. Um, right. Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All of your old passwords are now in the hands. Yes. Of, I mean, yeah. they probably are. But so I, I have a a question, but I um. I'll, I'll, I'll frame it by something I asked ChatGPT because I'm a journalist. So I asked, journalists are in the business of stories. We call them stories. So I asked that, what are the components of a story? This isn't something I had know that no one answered to. It gave me seven things. Here are the seven components to a story. None of them were what makes a story, which is conflict. Um, asked it to write me a story, and it wrote something that had no conflict in it at all. It started with, here are characters, here's happily ever after, and almost nothing in between that were, would be, keep you turning the page. In a similar way, if you ask it to write a joke, then it tells you I have a problem and it doesn't write me a joke. And, and it's where I'm going with this is in two directions that I have questions about. One is, it's, this is a supposition, it's, like, it's not turtles all the way down, it's confirmation bias. And this is what, is, what makes us most human you know, I mean, somebody did a little study that said basically ChatGPT is kind of a, a left liberal character because, well, that's just what it's trained on, which, by the way, is mostly mainstream news, probably. And mainstream news, for the most part, cares about what's happening in Washington and a bunch of other stuff one could interpret as being left of center because it's concerned with government and governance and all of that. Um, but, you know, confirmation bias is part of what makes us human. And there's we talk about what a system has as knowledge, but that's very different than what we we have as knowledge because that knowledge is mostly tacit. It's not explicit. It's We don't know how we're going to end the sentences we start or how we remember the way we started the sentences we're now ending. We can talk to each other and still understand what each other is talking about. That's, that's tacit knowledge at work. And computing is all about the explicit. And there's a kind of knowing, I think, that humans have that in its own way is kind of like the knowing that a bird has when it knows how to make a bird nest. A human being has kind of all the engineering knowledge in the world and it can't make a bird nest as well as a, as a hummingbird, which has a brain the size of a pea. But it's something we think of as kind of, we kind of anthrop, you know, in, in anthropomorphically, we think of that as kind of knowledge, but that's human knowledge. But human knowledge is, is this, and anyway, where I'm going with this is, one, is it, 
can we assume that we're never going to get to to anything that replicates the way human beings know things? Um, that's the first one. And the second one is, are the likes of ChatGPT and the stuff you guys are working on something that access the the net effect of this is helping us understand what it actually means to be human i have one comment here that is uh, mm-hmm. one of the biggest of the biggest challenges on the nlp algorithms or nlp stuff is that they are not able to detect ir- ironics so yeah ironics yeah so it's it's almost impossible for them so uh in fact, I believe that there is a project that they can pay you a lot if you can de- 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 develop something that can detect ir- ironics. But this is, as you said, it's something that makes us humans. Uh, it's or, or, or the, the tone on what we said the phrase or how we said the phrase is something that today these algorithms, they are not able to detect it. And I don't know if it will be in the future possible, but I believe that we should also should always think about these tools. These are tools that came here to help us to to write things. If we compare the technology 100 years ago or 50 years ago, we said, okay, now with this machine, everyone will lose their jobs and so on. And it didn't happen. And it will happen with the same with this with this kind of technologies. We'll, there will be new new positions or whatever. But I I believe that the human touch will be always needed. Maybe today we are doing things that can be automated. Right? I mean, this because we have something that is really different from the from these algorithms. Um, it can it can help us. I mean, we need to start thinking on on that. They will be realistic, uh, and today you you can find if you would like to find some some tools. There are tools out there that they are selling solutions to help you to write posts, or or to write campaigns or the things, and they and they are providing that to you. Of course, we have to pay, but this is something that they are helping. If they are better or not, I believe that if you get this information. You should review to see if it makes sense, um, but it can help you. I mean, it's not it's not that one thing replacing to another thing because we still have sentiments. We have things that are different, right? So it could be more a yeah. fight. But philosophically, philosophically Doug's question yeah. was: Can it? Can an AI, because it generally is computing, generally is explicit? Can it? think like us? And the answer is, if it's explicit, no. But the interesting thing about the neural networks and not necessarily neural networks, because they aren't necessarily a fine, an exact representation of how our brains work. But there is definitely, they are definitely more going towards the direction of, yes, they also can't define how they think, but yet they still generate things that seem coherent, right? You can't, Mm -hmm. you can't describe how your brain works. That AI can't describe how it works. We also can't describe how it works um, in cases. So I don't know if it would be fair to say it would never get there. I don't know if the, the representation that we have of a deep neural network makes sense. There's other types of computing like neuromorphic computing, which is theoretically more similar to how our brain works and how our nerves work. 
So if we could replicate that with enough compute horsepower in the world, is it possible? It probably is. I don't know if we have enough compute power in the world in the way that we represent computation and computer hardware to make that happen anytime soon. But it seems like, again, philosophically, as a thought experiment, it should be possible at some point, but I don't think we're close. Yeah. Although we're getting to... awfully scarily close on the, yeah. the uncanny valley stuff. We are I don't know if y'all saw the, the Morgan Freeman video <laughs> that was going around. <laughs> the three rules Morgan of the robots. <laughs> so yeah. I, so uh, as you're talking, Ezekiel, I thought, oh, wait, an interesting thing is, of course, because it's just a text thing so far, uh, it has no body language. You can't read it, you know, and when we communicate to each other, we use... We're, we're embodied animals. It's not just our brains. It's our whole bodies and how we express ourselves. And um, I mean, one of the problems we have with privacy, and we've talked about this on the show and elsewhere, is that um, here in the natural world, we signal to each other, no, don't come any closer. I, this is okay. I'm ready for a hug, whatever. And we communicate things about our privacy preferences that, again, are largely tacit, but to some degree, they're explicit. You can say no or, you know, don't want this or whatever it might be. Um, but I suppose it's possible. I was thinking of the movie Ex Machina, which has, you know, which is, assumes there, there is some kind of near perfect AI intelligence that, that is capable of understanding people psychologically. And, um, and it's all in some kind of wetware, which nobody has really built yet, but, and may never, but at least it's imaginable. But even there, I mean, it, you know, not to, I don't think it's any spoiler to, to say that, you really can't trust the damn thing at the end, at the end right? You know? So some human's going to have to be in charge of that and not just a, yet another, another Elon Musk type. I, I, I think suffice it to say, and, and we've, we've gone for a while now, we should probably wrap up, but yeah. I think suffice it to say, right now, I think it could probably, maybe not, chat GP, between chat GPT and some other uh, image generators and video generators out there, I bet it could come up with a, an episode of this podcast, but would you want to listen to it? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the, that's where we are in the, in the, in the process. Um, it comes back to the unknowable though. Why does anybody listen to your podcast or my podcast or anybody's podcast? If oh, we I knew that, know. <laughs> we would be much more popular. That would be amazing. Yeah, I wish I knew. <laughs> Why do you let us know? Um, yeah, please, please feel it's, free. I mean, we we I didn't do my normal uh, thing at the in the intro where I thank everyone because we do get a fair amount of feedback and, and I value it highly and we enjoy it. We get a lot of support, uh, which we appreciate. But I, I but the reasons are maybe unknowable. <laughs> yeah, I think we're uh, we're 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 coming up on you know running out of time. I did want to say a couple things. Um, I wanted to make sure if, if there was anything last last uh, little pearls of wisdom that you wanted to share that we didn't cover, but also I wanted to make sure to give Tony a, a little opportunity to talk about his other podcast just for people who might be curious. Speaking of, well, I, I host a podcast called Code Together. Um, we like to talk about uh, technology. It's mostly for developers uh, in some sense, but we just really I like to talk technology, much like this podcast. Um, so uh, hopefully if you're interested in technology, you could check it out. And most of the time we'll be talking about uh, concrete uses of technology in the world. Um, and we'll talk about how that applies to developers along the way. Um, so yeah, if, if you like kind of the technology chat that we've had here, you can check it out and give me feedback about why you do or don't like it. That'd be great. <laughs> yep. Always, always appreciate it. 
Yeah. Ezekiel, did you have anything that you, you had in mind that you wanted to make sure to get out there and haven't yet? Or did we cover it? No, just, uh, I mean, we should be relaxed. I mean, it's not the end of the of the war with the technology. I mean, it's... It's the start of the it's world. It's the start of yeah. the war. I mean, it's, yeah, there we go. More optimistic take. Exactly. We will find some really interesting use cases to have this, this, this technology in the field and to see it. Um, but, I mean... Let's try to, to be optimistic. And this is pretty awesome because the moment that we have now, we have data, we have processing, we have a lot of things that are possible. And the technology is, it's AI, it's advancing a lot in the last five years, four years, and it will be for sure in the next five years. In the previous generations, you should wait 20 years or 30 years to see an advance. Uh, now it's, you see it. Almost every day, every week, you have something new. So it's we are we are very. I'm happy to to be alive in this in this in this generation, right? Yeah, I, I enjoy your optimism. I guess yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. If there is a takeaway, and and you know, coming back to the, our, our open source uh, bias is is to remind ourselves there's this great opportunity. We're in a great mo an interesting moment right here, and this is the the time where if this interests you. This is when you jump in and you get involved and you steer it the direction that you think it needs to go. We're all empowered to do that as humans. So, so this is this is your opportunity to to get in there and and, and make your mark and to open source what we are doing, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. and mm -hmm. open it. Did you have any final thoughts, Doc? There's that expression. It's not the end of the world, you know. But it, I think it is the start of a world. I think it's the start. I've had a number of people tell me that um, these are people, you know, in tech. Uh, whose life has already been made easier in some ways by ChatGPT itself. And not, you know, one's a CEO, you know, another one's a writer. And in neither case are they busy plagiarizing ChatGPT. It's kind of like, hey, this is, an, they're looking at it basically as another way to do search. You know, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a different UI. And it's a new hack on search. That's it. Yeah. But, but the, you know. the big question with that is, um, and we did talk about this in, in the podcast that I had about this, which is you don't know the providence of that and you get one answer, right? So if you ask it to do something and you ask the wrong prompt, the wrong mm -hmm. question, it may give you an answer that is incorrect because you've prompted it wrong. Now, most people, you know, if you're in the position of a CEO, you know how to ask an appropriate question without a bias. But right. if you ask a question that is biased in Google, at least if I type something in the search bar, I get a list and I can scroll mm -hmm. through that list and identify which one I think is the most valuable. Currently as implemented when you interact with ChatGPT, it gives you one answer. And if you don't like it, you can say, give me another answer. And you keep doing that till you get an answer you like. And it continually changes the answer. I don't know if you guys have yeah. tried that. Yeah. But yeah. it's harder because you don't see it all up front. So now you don't know when to stop. So it, the, the interface itself of the application, not the model and the AI, is potentially challenging for using it for that type of use case. Yeah. So it may or may not know who Doc Searles is, depending on how you ask well, the question. It doesn't but, know. I think that's kind of the important thing. It, well, it reports <laughs> and it's got, you know, it's got programming that tells it how to report. It, well, cool. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're, <laughs> um, I think we've, we've sufficiently, uh, we've sufficiently <laughs> covered it and, and well, no, we totally haven't. We have just begun to cover it, but I appreciate both of you joining us, joining us for this. It's really nice to have y'all come over, you know, and hang out with me and Doc. And um, yeah, and thank you for everybody who, who has listened up to this point. And